Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. Rick Klein is traveling, but we have still got a show for you. We are going to be talking in just a few moments uh, with Jim Messina, the architect of Barack Obama's re-election campaign in 2012. We want to get his take on where this race is going, where the Democratic primary of 2020 is going. And we're coming on the air uh, just after uh, we saw Bernie Sanders uh, appear on Fox News, a town hall meeting on Fox News. He was asked uh, by uh, by Brett Baer about whether or not he had benefited from the tax cut that uh, that Donald Trump signed into law. He had that, that Bernie Sanders, who we now know is a is a millionaire, uh, he's released his tax returns. Whether or not he was among those who managed to pay a little less in taxes thanks to Donald Trump. I paid the taxes that I owe. And by the way, why don't you got Donald Trump up here and ask him how much he pays in taxes? Yeah, well, yeah, well, I am eagerly awaiting you're doing that. Well, we'd love to have you. We would love we'll, to have we'll make this. Get him up here. And if the president, I guess the president watches your network a little bit, right? <laughs> hey, President Trump, my wife and I just released 10 years. Please do the same. Let the American people know how much we're doing. Well, apparently, President Trump was watching that town hall meeting and was not happy about it. Uh, He tweeted, so weird to watch crazy Bernie on Fox News. Not surprisingly, Brett Baer and the, quote, audience was so smiley and nice. Very strange. Uh, So uh, the president, uh, once again, not too happy with a Fox News uh, position. We often saw him in during the Republican primaries uh, three years ago and uh, not happy with Bernie Sanders there. But I just finished my conversation with Jim Messina and I began by asking about this notion that we've heard from some that as we look to the Democratic primaries, that Bernie Sanders may be the Democratic equivalent of Donald Trump. Not not his policies, obviously, but as, as a candidate... Uh, who is going in, who has a fervent band of support that will be there with him uh, in, in primary after primary, and somebody who may uh, find the, the rules actually end up benefiting him, the rules that he complained about so much uh, the last time he ran. So with that, here is what Jim Messina had to say about Bernie Sanders. It, the most ironic thing of the 2020 Democratic presidential primary is Bernie Sanders. Because in 2016, Bernie Sanders complained bitterly that the DNC rules were written to stop his candidacy. And now, four years later, the DNC rules are going to be Bernie Sanders' best hope for the nomination. And for as much as you know, he likes to play himself as the anti-establishment candidate, his people did something very smart. And they went in over the last four years in delegate meeting after delegate meeting and DNC meeting after DNC meeting and got the rules changed in a way that really, really helps him. And now if you look at it, it is very possible that Bernie Sanders could be the Donald Trump of 2020. And if nothing else, he will definitely be one of the final two or three candidates who has a shot at the nomination. And we saw he's also not one to give up. Remind me, remind me when he pulled out uh, uh, last time. Uh, I don't remember because I wasn't involved in the campaign, but I think it was really late. It I mean, as you very, know, they were still having very, to very give late. him platform uh, gives at the convention to make sure he spoke and did all those things. 
And what do you and what do you make? What 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 would it mean for the Democratic Party to nominate Bernie Sanders? Well, look, overall, this is being cast as a kind of insurgent versus the machine campaign. I think that's wrong. Democrats are having a very healthy and very predictable fight about the ideological center of the Democratic Party. And you have candidates like Senator Sanders, Senator Warren, uh, AOC, who's not a candidate, but definitely a leading figure here, saying we should be social Democrats. And then you have a bunch of other Democrats saying, no, the way you win is to be mainstream Democrats who represent the values we've always done. And that's really what this is about. And I think, you know, that's what you're going to see back and forth inside the Democratic primary. I think while all of that is true, and I think that's what you're going to see, I think there's another interesting statistic, which is that 61% of Democrats say the most important issue in the Democratic primary for president is who can beat Donald Trump. Democrats understand that Donald Trump's the worst president of their lifetime, and they've got to beat him. And so on one hand, you're having Democrats say, who are we? Should we be more progressive? Should we be more mainstream to win some of these, some of these swing states? On the other hand, you have kind of ma- uh, regular voting Democrats who aren't focused on this Washington fight saying, wait a minute, just tell me who can beat Donald Trump because we've got to get rid of him. And that tug and pull is really interesting. And we've done this before. In 2004, you know, Democrats danced with Howard Dean, and he excited us. And then we thought John Edwards was beautiful and great, and then he had his rise. But in the end, we went back to John Kerry because people thought, oh, John Kerry can beat George Bush. That's the most recent analogy. The question on the ideological fight is, have Democrats gone further to the left um, and now the John Kerry's of the world can't win a nomination. I don't think that's true. I think Democrats are going to say who can win this. And while we love Bernie and we love some of these other candidates, could they beat Donald Trump? But that tug back and forth will be the most interesting thing to watch in this primary. Okay, so Jim Messina, let me ask you that question you just posed. Can Bernie Sanders beat Donald Trump? No. Why? I think if you look at swing voters in this country, they are incredibly focused on the economy. You and I have had this discussion before. The winner of the economic argument uh, in the last five presidential elections with swing voters has won the presidency. I think today you look at it and say that Bernie Sanders um, is unlikely going to be able to stand up to the constant barrage that is Donald Trump on economic issues like that. Now, that said, you know, there are other, or other folks, other friends of mine who believe very differently and that believe that Senator Sanders can excite a new population of people and get new, uh, new voters um, out. You know, there's this big fight in my party about do you excite the base and jack up turnout or do you nominate a more mainstream candidate, moderate candidate, and get the swing voters? The three Democrats who have won the presidency in my lifetime, Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama, have been able to do both. And to win a presidential election against Donald Trump, you have to do both. You have to excite your base and turn out people, and you have to win swing voters. And we are going to look for a nominee who can do both. Today, you would say in the general election context, Bernie Sanders wouldn't be that candidate. 
Um, but, you know, one of the lots of people call me all the time and say, oh, Obama needs to, you know, get involved in this primary and get us a nominee. There's too many candidates. We're going to beat each other senseless, you know, et cetera. And I don't think that's right at all. I think we need to let this process play out. And, you know, Barack Obama beat Hillary Clinton in 2008 in the longest primary in American political history, all 50 states. And we came out of that primary completely tested. We both on issues like Reverend Wright and other things and on building a national organization. And we were ready for a general election and we were ready to take on John McCain, an election we ended up winning handily. So we're going to find out if Bernie Sanders can can move a message to both swing voters uh, and uh, uh, and his base. We're going to find out if Joe Biden is is battle tested. We're going to figure out whether Kamala Harris and Beto O'Rourke and Mayor Pete have the magic we think they have. And a lot of these things of people like you and I, you know, asking questions like can Bernie win a general election. We're about to figure it out. I got my opinion. I just gave you mine, and I'm sure I'm getting killed on Twitter right now. <laughs> um, but the great thing about this primary process is the actual voters are going to have their say, and it's going to be the most interesting primary of my lifetime. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, more of my conversation with Jim Messina. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. And now, once again, more of my conversation with the architect of Barack Obama's re-election victory, Jim Messina. Last time you were on Powerhouse Politics, you said that you would, you know, a number of potential 2020 candidates, this was about a year ago, uh, had, had, you know, already reached out to talk to you. What's the top tier of this field right now? Well, to your point, I've now met with 34 potential presidential candidates. <laughs> 30, wait, wait, let's, uh, let, let, let's let that sink in for a second. You've met with 34 potential presidential candidates? Yes, yeah, them or their teams. And, you know, as you know, I have the advantage of being happily out of American politics. I ran my dream race. I'm not going to get involved in the primary, so I can be honest and give everyone, you know, whatever advice they'd like. And, uh, and where I think the field is right now, I think we're – we have the deepest democratic field in the history of American politics. We have incredibly competent, exciting individuals. You see the polls jumping around all over the place because you know one candidate will catch fire for uh, a month or two. Uh, you and I will remember that a year ago, Michael Avenatti was in the top five in Iowa and exciting Democrats, and now he's facing 34 indictment counts. And like 300 uh, you know, years today's in prison or something, right? Flavor is is uh, Mayor Pete. You know, a month ago it was Beto. Um, I think you're going to see all this stuff bouncing around a lot, and it feels a lot to me like 2004, where Democrats dance with a bunch of different people and then try to figure out at the end uh, who can beat Donald Trump. Well, I, I also uh, re- remember during the 2016 with the. Um, uh, Republicans talking about almost exactly like you started out, like the incredible depth of the Republican field. You had a former governor of Florida, a governor of Texas, a governor of Wisconsin. Uh, you had rising star, uh, uh, you know, like 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 Marco Rubio, uh, Ted Cruz. I mean, this was their, you know, th- this was a field that had incredible depth. And um, I, I, I seem to. I, I think it was Trump that ended up winning the nomination, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> I remember <laughs> some about yeah, that, yeah. yeah. What, what, if you were advising, um, and, and you're now in a position where you can talk to us completely unshackled because you're not tied to any, any candidate, but 
if if you had been if if you were advising one of these candidates on how uh, to to navigate a field this crowded, um, it's it is after all about getting the delegates and the brilliance of the first Obama campaign in two thousand eight uh, was reading the way those delegates would be captured and preparing for a long fight and doing things like. You know, getting ahead on things like the the Idaho caucuses. <laughs> you know, while uh, while the Hillary campaign was was not at all focused on on that until too late. What would you What would you do? Well, I think a couple things. Number one, uh, the way the map has changed, and as you know, we now have California and Texas very um, earlier, and uh, will you know the way that the recent calendar changes have done is it makes money more important. Um, and the reason I say this is, think about it this way. You're going to have ballots in California mailed out right before the Iowa caucuses. And so you're going to need to be competing in New Hampshire, in Iowa, in California, and probably Texas, as well as South Carolina. And so that means money's more important than ever. So the very first thing the candidates need to do is figure out how they're going to raise this kind of money. And you're seeing various candidates have... Uh, various philosophies here. You know, Democrats on our side have this great ATM machine called the Internet, and some candidates are doing really, really well on the Internet. And then, you know, traditional fundraising with big donors and going around, you have uh, some candidates doing really well on that. And interestingly, the one candidate who is doing well on both so far is Kamala Harris. Um, The other people seem to be competing in those lanes. So first of all, Money's more important in the Democratic primary than it ever has been before, which I think overall is a bad thing, but it is what it is, and these are the rules. The second thing is you've got to figure out how to get to this 15% threshold in some early states, because the rules are designed originally to get us a nominee earlier than later. And so you're going to have to try to figure out how to pop in one of the first two or three early states. American politics is lined with the dead political bodies of candidates who said, oh, I'm going to skip Iowa or I'm going to skip New Hampshire and compete in X state. That so far hasn't worked. And you've got to figure out how you're going to pop. And those are two things I think these candidates are trying to wrap their arms around. And then, to your point, looking at the new rules saying, you know, okay, with those in in mind, how do I design my campaign? Okay, so let's let's drill down on that fifteen percent rule. So the, the, the way this works, as I understand it, is uh, a candidate must win fifteen percent of, of of a state or of one of the state's congressional districts to get any delegates at all. Correct. Correct. There are a handful of states where it does it by legislative district, but but that's that that's what it looks like. So if you see a situation where you're, you get 14.9% in Iowa or New Hampshire, you come out with goose egg. You come out with nothing. That's exactly right. Okay, let me... a whole bunch of time and money for nothing. <laughs> so let me ask you then, with a field this crowded, it seems to me, and we're getting ahead of ourselves, but, uh, but it seems to me with a field this crowded, so many candidates, as you've said, strong candidates, um, that we could have a situation where nobody has 15%. Yeah, you absolutely can. And what then happens you get then? into the arcane rules, um, which say that in that case, um, you can get delegates if you have half of the per- uh, 50% of whatever total percent the winner has. So let's say in your case, there's 18 candidates in the Iowa Democratic primary, 
and the top vote getter uh, is John Carl, and John Carl gets 20%, then whatever half of that percent is, 15, uh, 10%, then you get delegates if you get 10%. Okay. Um, and, and, and this works even if the, if the number one vote getter gets 12%. Correct. Okay. You got it. Before you go, uh, let me see if I can get you to stick your neck out one more time. Uh, give me your – look into your crystal ball. Uh, who who are the candidates that are who, – who's, who's the top three? Who's going to emerge as, as the top three candidates? If you just close your eyes for a second mm-hmm. and take the names away and look at the early primaries um, and who should do well in them, um, I think Kamala Harris is going to be a finalist. And the reason I say that is you have California early, you have South Carolina where she should do very well. She's the one candidate who right now is doing both kinds of fundraising well and raising real money. Um, I think she's going to be there. I think Bernie Sanders is going to be there. Um, I think that um, then you have a couple other candidates who I think are going to be there. I think Beto O'Rourke's going to be there because he has money and some magic, and he's working harder than any uh, any of the other candidates on the road, and he just hired, uh, in my opinion, one of the best campaign managers in America. Um, I think he's going to be there, um, and I think you know, if and when the vice president runs, you'd have to figure that, uh, given his name ID and association with President Obama, uh, he is likely going to be there. Then you know, so that's four. I think um, we're going to have another surprise candidate. Today, you'd say that's Mayor Pete. You know, we haven't even talked about any of the governors, and traditionally a governor does pretty well um, and and moves. You know, this there's, you know, a couple other candidates can announce in the next couple of weeks that I think, you know, could have some excitement. So, you know, we got a lot of those candidates sitting there. But those are the people that I think, if you just look at it, are likely going to get a ticket to the Final Four. All right. Uh, Jim Messina, uh, thank you very much for joining us in Powerhouse Politics, and we'll check in with you from time to time as this uh, goes forward. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. Take care. All right. That is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. For Rick Klein, I'm Jonathan Carl. Thank you on behalf uh, of our entire Powerhouse Politics team, including Trevor Hastings, Angie Yak, and Avery Miller. We will talk to you again next week.